Well, it's a pleasure to be here again, and uh, I really didn't want that singing to stop. It's, um, I'm impressed every time I come. It's, you think you get used to it, but uh, the congregational singing, just everything is just awesome. And, uh, and I noticed how uh, so many things tied into what I had planned to talk about, and even down to uh, Sharia's song. Uh, Cherie's song, sorry. Uh, I had uh, changed a little bit last week and got this condensed down to uh, focusing more on I individuals rather than a uh, national type uh, message, which we hear a lot and it's needed. But I generally like to hear the... Uh, what the theme is, you know, to get an idea of what direction to go. And uh, I went ahead, I started with the subject, uh, just gathering some notes. And uh, when the theme came, well, it fit right in. And um, of course, the theme is to your tents, O Israel. So naturally, the first thing I thought of was Jeroboam, you know, because I know he said that right at, right at the time the kingdom was splitting. And uh, I, I wanted to focus in on him and, and try to get down to more of a personal level on, on it, which we don't, there's not much written about him personally, uh, just the deeds he did, uh, working for Solomon, and then up until the time of the split of the kingdom, when he became that first king of the northern house and the responsibilities he had with them. And uh, so I, I want everybody to keep in mind uh, the, the programming of our minds. And there's good programming and bad programming. And we all have it. We've been programmed since our youth. And uh, I want to encourage everybody to focus on the good programming bringing things to memory, uh, just, just like with this, when, when I heard, to your tents, O Israel, that's the first thing that popped in my mind. Now there's other things in society, you hear, you hear it even though you don't believe it, uh, we've grown out of some of these things that maybe we believed before, but we found out they're lies, it still pops in your mind. <clears throat> and uh, I try to use that to my advantage because you'll know what other people are thinking oftentimes with these, uh, with these incendiary type of uh, sayings and messages we have to trigger us to think a certain way. And most of the world falls for it. You know, it's right there on their mind. They, they don't even think, they just speak. And, uh, and I tried to, if I explain that to people in the world, I try to avoid saying that, well, it's mind control because right away they think that you really think that they're controlling every thoughts in my mind. Well, no, I don't. And that's not accurate to say that. So I'll use the term manipulation uh, in that case and uh, try to stay with that. So they get the idea that it does happen to them. And sometimes uh, I've had examples of it happen and I was going to maybe bring this up later, but uh, in the case of my own mother-in-law at one time, when our older children were small, uh, 
she was a little concerned, you know, about the racial thing. And, uh, you know, just thinking how society generally thinks. And so uh, she said, well, what are you going to teach the boys concerning those, there, the issue of race? I said, well, <clears throat> you know, I believe in kind after kind. That's the way God created things. And so uh, just to cut to the chase, I'm going to teach them to marry within their own kind. That's all. So right away she said, well, you're going to teach them to hate the other races? And I said, well, I didn't say that. <clears throat> and I don't think that. And so we had a pretty good discussion. And uh, it, it, it was good. And I said, you know, I, I don't believe you really thought when you gave that response. You, you didn't have time to think. That was already in your mind. And you just blurted that out. And she admitted to that. She said, you know, she, she reflected for a moment and said, I really did do that. I said, sure. I said, that popped into my head too because we've been trained to think that way. And so it's right there at the ready. So we need to do that with, with scripture and with truth to have it at the ready and more so on the personal level. We need to know how to behave with one another. And uh, like Cherie's song, she's talking about these little things and man, they really add up to be something big when collectively we can begin to perfect these truths to our memory. And instead of reacting, we're, we're trained on the other side to react out of emotion and with men a lot of times it's it's anger and uh with women other emotions that i don't fully understand but uh <laughs> it's pretty complicated but uh but regardless it doesn't matter our minds should go directly to what does god say what does his word say if we don't know right away if it doesn't come to mind well take a few minutes or, or just be quiet they won't hurt anything. So back to Jeroboam. And by the way, uh, I've got a title, Jeroboam's Folly. Subtitled, He Followed His Heart. And that's a, that's a phrase we hear a lot today. It's just, you know, follow your heart. It sounds so good. Uh, sounds like that's a good thing to do. And... Um, by the way, I was going to maybe go into some definition, but Pastor Benson defined it last night. It's really pretty simple. It, it's the inner man. It's the mind. That, that is uh, the definition of heart. And the scripture, of course, has something to say. Now, one thing that comes to mind when I hear somebody say, follow your heart is Jeremiah 17, 9. You know, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So that's a real good one to memorize. And when somebody suggests something like that to you, you know, don't hit them over the head with it. But it's good, especially through social media or text. Then put that out there. And it'll, it'll cause them to think. Now, let's start off with uh, the story of Jeroboam. And we probably don't have time to go through too many of the details. It's pretty lengthy. But he did start out 
Uh, let's go to First Kings, by the way, chapter eleven. And by the way, that reading of the law <laughs> that, that just fit in so perfectly too. If Jeroboam, and no doubt, he knew it. Um, but it's another thing. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to try to follow it. And then it's another if you're leading a nation of people. You know, the, the stresses that had to go with it that I couldn't even comprehend. But nonetheless, he was chosen for the job. He had a duty to perform, and he failed miserably, didn't he? But let's start out 1 Kings chapter 11. Uh, by the way, just to go through it, some of it briefly, uh, Jeroboam was appointed by Solomon uh, to be head over the house of Joseph. And he did that for some time. And uh, the day came, of course, when the prophet came to him, when Ahijah came to him. And we'll start with uh, verse 28. The man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing the young man that he was industrious... He made him ruler over all the charge of the house of Joseph. And it came to pass at the time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him in the way, and he had clad himself with a new garment. And they two were alone in the field, and Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him and rent it in twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take thee ten pieces, for thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon, and will give ten tribes to thee. So that reminds me back of the Deuteronomy 4 we just read that this nation wants to be in disobedience and God will bring it down. And so this was the beginning of it. 32, but he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. So yeah, he saved uh, the house of Judah for Solomon, for whose sake David. You know, what do you, what do you think about the one thing you think of the description of David, that uh, he was a man after God's own heart? And that alone saved uh, Solomon from losing the entire kingdom, and it saved him from losing it during his lifetime. He didn't have to suffer through that. And you talk about the patience of God. Uh, Solomon, Solomon had all this wisdom. You know his story. Ends up even building these Baal altars after he was warned. Don't take on these strange wives. They'll turn your heart against me. They'll turn your heart toward their gods. And that's exactly what happened. Despite all the wisdom he had. Despite all that. So let's start with First uh, Kings 12 now and pick up the story. And Rehoboam went to Shechem. So I, I believe there's a lot uh, in between. We won't go through all this uh, 
this story of what happened with this rebellion, because I, I do want to focus and kind of recap uh, the events of, of Jeroboam, uh, just more specifically, but uh, starting in verse 1, Rehoboam went to Shechem, and all Israel would come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, was yet in Egypt, heard of it. For he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in it, in Egypt, because he was there because uh, Solomon had heard that this prophet came to him, and uh, he he went he so, he was seek to kill uh, Jeroboam, so he fled to Egypt. And of course, there's a lot of parallels you can draw uh, with his story too. You know, it kind of puts to mind Moses that had to. Uh, flee, and then he came back to Egypt, and this is kind of reversed, but uh, puts those things to mind. Verse 3, that they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous, now therefore make thou the grievous service of the father in this heavy yoke which he put upon us lighter, and we will serve thee. And we won't go through that whole story, I'm sure you're all familiar with it. Uh, and I think it was mentioned this week, but, uh, yeah, Rehoboam took counsel of the elders first. They gave him sound advice to listen to the people. And of course he went to the, his younger one, the peers he had that he had set up with. And, uh, they said, tax them harder, be, be more uh, grievous on them. And that did cause the split. In which, by the way, we get this phrase where uh, Jeroboam says, what do we have to do with David to your tents, Israel? And, and that was the beginning of that split. And then when they sent to collect uh, the taxes, of course, they stoned that man to death. And uh, it was on then. But, of course, it was from God. We know by the prophet speaking to Jeroboam and by the fact that when Rehoboam came back and, and gathered up troops to stop this from happening, which is understandable. Um, you know, a prophet came to him, I forget the name offhand, but uh, he said, hey, this is of God, send the troops back. And amazingly, he did. He, he listened at that point in time and knew it was from God, acknowledged that, and he turned them back. So think about Jeroboam. He really had he he had a tough job, but he really had simple instructions. All he had to do was was follow follow the Lord's instructions, and he would have had a kingdom. The Scripture says it would rival David's. He could have had that, but since he turned so fast. And I suppose out of fear of men, well, we know, we know that on some uh, examples that were given. Uh, it really turned bad in a, in a short time and just, and just never recovered. But this would be a good lesson for us to take to heart. And in our little part of the world and in our own circles, uh, we can train our minds 
and stay in scripture and apply those principles first and foremost and avoid these pitfalls. And of course, as we just read in Deuteronomy, even when we fall short, he's merciful on us. He'll let us recover and he'll give us a long time quite often. He, he gave Solomon a long, long time and he still didn't turn from him and, and from his ways and back to him. So let's go to uh, verse 26. We're still in 1 Kings 12. And we'll start with 25. Because Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from thence to build Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, that's trouble, now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. So he started fearing. See, right away, just, oh, they're going to turn back to Jerusalem, to David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord. Notice how heart keeps coming up here. Even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So he begins to disintegrate rapidly, you know, right away. Oh, the people are going to leave. Then the king's going to kill me. What am I going to do? And this fear just mounted up, it appears, by the text here. And he just started really falling apart. 27, if this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of the people turn again to the Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me. And go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold, that he probably learned in Egypt, and said unto them, Is it too much for you to go up? It is too much to you, for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. So right away it started with this fear. The fear turns to lies and deception. You know, a bit. <clears throat> We're so good at smoothing things over, you know. Instead of, instead of admitting that, seeking counsel, uh, he starts smooth talking to people, you know. Oh, it's, it's too long of a trek for you to go all the way to Jerusalem. That's not necessary. Hey, let's set up a couple of calves here. I'll set one up in the north in Dan, in the south in Bethel, and you'll have an easier way to go. And you'll still, here, I'll put these symbols up here this golden calf, and uh, you don't have to go all the way down there to Jerusalem. But he didn't mean it anyway. He just, he showed his fear here of what he thought would happen. Rather than trusting what the prophet told him, he knew it was from God. All he had to do was stand his ground, follow the Lord with a whole heart, and he would have had a kingdom that rivaled David's. So he built the altars after this, and we'll, we'll go through that. Verse 29, he set one up in Bethel, another he put in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before one, even unto Dan. And he made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. So there's more, it just keeps piling on. When he, when he set priests up, they were supposed to be out of Levi. 
So he didn't even want to do that. 31, and he made a house of, <clears throat> of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained <clears throat> a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah, and he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. And that reminds me, just south of the town, we live east of Bunker Hill. And there's a man that, he's a preacher for years and even was on local uh, television broadcasts. I'd never seen it, but uh, he's got a couple of ranches and uh, he calls it the Holy Cow Ranch. But just maybe five years ago or so, John, he... Uh, he set up this big bronze bull out in front of his gate, and it, it's life-size. And you know, I thought, wow, that's, that's really odd, isn't it? You know, <laughs> or is it? But, uh, and, and I've never talked to the man. Uh, he, had, I, he was kind of a builder too. I think I did a job for him one time, but never did work with him. But uh, here he is, an elderly man now. It's like, why in the world would you want to set up that bull? Uh, and maybe he's got a good reason for it. I don't know, but uh, I know he's I know he's read these scriptures. Verse thirty-three. So he offered upon the altar, which he had made in Bethel, the fifteenth day of the eighth month. Here's what I want to focus in on: in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burned incense. So time and again, it's things that came out of his heart, his inner man, his mind. Where it should have came out of the word of God. Should have came out of what we just read this morning. Amen. Amen. And the man had to know better. But, you know, even... Uh, Moses' brother Aaron went for the same error uh, because of the pressure of men. He buckled, set up this golden calf, and we have that same story uh, repeating itself. So don't let these things, especially if you're put on the spot in a situation... Study to show yourself approved where you can recall what you're supposed to do in any given situation. Uh, that brings to mind, uh, we were at a local church one time, and we knew everybody, and uh, two men had a conflict, <clears throat> okay? And of course, and we heard about it, which we shouldn't have because it was between them, and they were settling the conflict. So then I get a call one evening. Hey, are you, you going to church? You know, yes. Uh, well, yeah, we really want you there. We really want you there, you know. And beating around the bush and, and dropping little hints. So I gathered from it, well, he wants me to say something <clears throat> about this. So it gave me time to think on it. So the day came, they make a big ordeal in front of the whole congregation over this. And which was, 
it was just manipulation was all it was. One party wanted to side with these people, you know, and, and uh, they weren't going about it in the right way. And so I just kept quiet. And from the pulpit, he just kept, oh, you know, does anybody have anything to say? You know, he just kept on and on. Finally, I thought, he's not going to stop to say something. So I got up and said, well, first of all, we shouldn't even be hearing this. The guilty one admits to it, obviously. He's going to make it right. Uh, this party is good with it. It should have went no farther. And so, of course, I cited Matthew 18. Uh, three verses is also. And, and, of course, the man just said, yeah, you know, I thought about that. And said, well, you should have done it. It, it was such a charade, and it was all built around manipulating a certain outcome that they wanted. And so it's really no different than what we're reading here about Jeroboam. It's like, just, just follow the scriptures. You had it all laid out already. They were aware of those scriptures. And they, what's wrong with just doing that and, and let it be resolved? And nobody had to even know about it. So big blow up over nothing. And it, it worked out okay. Because they, they can reconcile, and they did, and it worked out okay. But they went through so much trouble and anguish over this thing that was completely unnecessary. So I remembered that as a, as a good way to teach my own anyway. Hey, you do what this word says, even if it feels wrong to you at the time. And we think, well, we have this better solution for this uh, because, like, the Lord doesn't understand. Like, oh, well, uh, you know, you don't understand how these people are and these, you know, and it doesn't matter. Just do what he says. It's so simple. And it works. Uh, one example I use, uh, <clears throat> I'm on construction jobs all the time, so... Uh, you may have heard of the tendency of men to uh, raise their voice and yell at one another <clears throat> and uh, laced with profanity. But uh, years ago, I thought, you know, I ought to just follow that principle about just giving a soft answer. It turns away wrath. So I started doing it. And so I would just stand it. It didn't happen a lot, but man, get in my face, scream, yell, cuss. And I just calmly stand there and hear him out. Let him finish. And then as I responded with a normal tone, almost every time, it took the fire right out of them. Then they started discussing things with me like a gentleman. Uh, one time it took the guy twice. He, he started barking again, and I heard him out, gave the same answer in a low tone, and then... It was fine after that. So the principles really do work. We just have to apply them, but you have to know them. You have to commit them to memory so you can recall them in an instant in cases like that. Sometimes you have more time, then that's fine. And if you don't know, there's nothing wrong with being silent. And I determined to do that years ago uh, when I was a young man that, you know, I just need to do a lot of shutting up and a lot of listening. Because, you know, as, 
younger people, you tend to, you, your mind's so fast, you tend to want to throw that opinion out. And, uh, and a lot of times you may be right about what you're saying, but sometimes it's the wrong timing. And quite often it, it is the wrong thing that you're saying. But then, and then again, it's, it's our duty too to have some grace with you too. I, I do that pretty regular with younger people. Uh, hey, I, I remember I was like that. Uh, give them some grace. Let them pop off a little bit. It's not going to hurt you to let it roll off. And let their words echo around a little bit sometimes. Sometimes it, that sets them to thinking later on. And uh, that, that's a good way of kind of, they would probably call it verbal judo. You know, use their momentum against them. I let that roll off. They can see it doesn't shake you. And that, that's similar to that soft response that turns away wrath. It, it really has an effect. And by the way, you, you should be wise enough to know too, well, if I start barking back at them, it's not gonna do any good. It's gonna make them dig in more, most likely. And uh, that'd be unfruitful. So why bother with it? Uh, too often at times, people are so quickly offended and I think more often than not, it's because we think too highly of self. Yeah. It's, oh, well, I'm offended because you don't understand. They were talking about me like that. Well, big deal. It's, it's not that big a deal. Get over it. Try to make some fruit out of the situation. And you can do that. But the world programs us. And just like with musicians that practice, and they practice till it's muscle memory, isn't it? Or we have this term, and it's true. Once, once we dedicate it to memory, we know it by heart. And so with knowing these scriptures by heart, we can be there on the ready to get, for one, besides the lessons that can be learned, you're, you're automatically evangelizing to somebody who may not be aware of it, but I'm talking mainly in the Christian circles because it, it's so needed. But the world does their own programming as well. It's all over the place. Uh, we memorize slogans. We me you know, you hear it so often that... It just, it gets in your mind, gets in your heart, and you never forget it. And they do a, a crafty job of really programming us. So we need, at least the first step, if you're aware that they're doing this, it can, uh, it can keep you on guard where they're trying to win your heart and you keep comparing it to the Word of God. You always go back to that. Every situation, even things that we think may be a, a minor thing. But like I mentioned, the, the world, their programming, it's, it's all over the map too. It's capricious and they keep moving the boundaries. And you'll never keep up with that. And you shouldn't even try. But we have all these little 
little things, uh, it, even common things that we're accustomed to, like, you know, salt and pepper. You know what goes with it, bread and butter, right. So uh, those things are, are quick to mind. We should, we should have God's word that quick. Of course, we can't memorize everything. Or if we were to say uh, uh, mesquite, like with chips, what is it, mesquite barbecue, sour cream and salt and vinegar. Now you're not supposed to say that, but I told you the world is capricious. You're not supposed to talk like that. What you could say yesterday, you can't say today. They keep changing the boundaries. What you can say today, you can't say tomorrow. But Praise be to God, his word is always true and steady. You can stick with that and always be in the right when, when you're in obedience to him. So this, this will help you to have that answer when you, when you don't really have the time. Like I say, you have it so often uh, in mind with all these other things like that issue of race, you know, you're going to teach them to hate other races or program to say that. And, you know, when that happened that time, uh, this thought occurred to me at the time and it never had before. I said, well, you know, uh, maybe it's you that hate the other races. Well, me, how could you say that? I said, well... If everyone practiced what you say is okay, what the world says is okay, with this mixing, then you could potentially mix out every race God created. So if I really hated them, I would take up that policy. And you know, that was uh, received well and never, never brought up again. Because what can you say to it? It's, it's just the truth. And, uh, Lessons were learned there, and I learned something too, you know, because that had never occurred to me how to respond to that in that way. But uh, feel free to use that. So on the personal notes, um, you know, there's different ways that we, we can be deceived. We can be deceived by enemies. They're constantly at work to do it. They have to keep veering us off the truth. There's a lot of power in it and they know it. And they do a good job on the personal level and on the national level. And we take the bait time and again. But focusing on the personal level, really the worst deceiver is ourselves. And we're told not to deceive ourselves. And you think about, well, yeah, how do we do that? Well, it's, it's just like Jeroboam did. Right away, he starts thinking, oh, uh, they're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to lose them all. Then they're going to kill me. And, and just a list of things. It's pretty amazing how fast they came together, uh, according to the scriptures. And he just went on this spiral downhill and never recovered from it. And he still had a chance, just like we read. Even in the latter times, and I believe the text uh, bears out that he's, they're talking about their particular time of 
that they can repent in their latter days of their life, the, the way I'm reading it. And he still had a chance, an opportunity to turn things around and never did. It went downhill. But when we deceive ourselves, uh, there, and there's plenty of practical ways that it's done. Uh, and most of the time, I believe it's just an excuse for us to lash out in the flesh with emotions because we just want to. You know, I, I read somewhere that there's some stiff-necked people. And uh, too often we just want to do that because we're angry or we're upset somebody hurt us. And knowing the full time that, that you're in the wrong. But still we'll devise and we'll, we'll deceive ourselves saying, well, I really want to do this. So we have these ways of justifying our behavior because other people don't understand. See, I, I'm kind of special. And, you know, God deals with me a little different because I'm not like the rest of you. You know, I'm, I'm kind of special. And so uh, we, we start building these little idols around us and go to them to try to justify our sin. So it's like the woman that said to her doctor that like, because she's so special that the strangest thing happens to her. You know, every time I sneeze, I have this uncontrollable urge to slap my husband. He said, well, are you taking anything for it? She said, I'm sniffing pepper. So she's got these ways of justifying just because that's what we want to do. And I, I wish I had more examples of that, but I think you all know what, what I'm talking about. Or you keep lashing out because you've been hurt in the past. And um, I like what happened the other evening here with the healing and deliverance. I heard it before, and uh, there's a lot of truth to it. And the big thing is the forgiveness. Um, and what's he say? If you don't forgive others, I won't. Right. So it doesn't get any more serious than that. And he gives us time. He'll give you your whole lifetime to turn that around. And you can take the rest of your lifetime to wallow in that bitterness. And to keep being stubborn. And he's got all the time he wants. And he'll just keep tormenting you. Of course, uh. You know, he sends the tormentors. He uses the enemy to do it, but he sends them. And when you think about it, it's, a, it's an act of mercy and grace that he does that. Because think if you got comfortable in that sin of unforgiveness and he never prodded you and tormented you in order to turn you back to him, you die in that condition, you're in serious trouble. And over such a simple remedy, too. Just forgive, whether they ask or not. Just do it. Don't hang on to it. It'll eat you up. And often, uh, through these modern-day type of uh, deliverance ministries, uh, it's astonishing if they would turn to the Scripture, because there's some legitimacy to some of it. That some of the way they do it is is really off base but oftentimes they're claiming to get information from this demon 
So then, then they tell the people, oh, well, you've been delivered. When, when in most cases, the people go there tired of the sin, tired of the torment. They want to change. They want to repent. So they come to, to repent and to confess and to return to God. And that process starts taking place. And I don't doubt for a minute that they get delivered oftentimes. Because God is, is gracious, even in a setting that may be off base. Uh, he, he'll forgive them. But then I, I've seen it happen too often. Right after that point, they tell these people, well, now it's not because of their sin that got them into this place. It's because they had so many gifts that Satan was attacking them. So they start right away stroking them and puffing them up in pride. It's like, man, they got here and got help because they were repentant. Now you want to turn this repentance into this, what can become pride. That, uh, that hey, you've got all these gifts and see, you are so special and so needed in God's kingdom that Satan had to put a special target on your back. You know, and these are people that generally have been drug addicts and, and all this. It, you know, they've, they've turned at one point to God in their life. They turn back to sin again do that for years, they have enough of it, they come back and repent and just do this cycle all over again. The last thing you want to tell them is how important they are. Uh, so, if these ministers would just turn back to what, what the scripture says, the solution's simple. And, and they had it right in their hand and they could take that person and continue to lead them in truth. And of course, it's still, it's still their choice. And many of them turn back and they go back to the hog waller anyway. And I notice that with, with personal relationships. Uh, too often, because of these type of things and this type of self-deception, um, friendships can be destroyed in relationships then the party that maybe has a problem, they'll come back, they'll use all these different tactics to come back and draw you back in the hog waller because really it's under disguise of, we just wanna help. We wanna help make you a better Christian. But in reality, it's just a tactic to draw you back in the hog waller and let's go waller about all these problems we used to have. Let's go waller about uh, sins when we were 12 years old. We, we, got, we got to avoid that. We got to know ahead of time what those tactics are. And that's where the, the healing will come from. Of course, from God's word. But it, it gets pretty tricky then. Because uh, it's so subtle. And it's under the guise of, oh, we're just, we're just helping you. I want to help you. And too often you end up back in a hog waller. And, and responsibility is on you as well with that. We have to be quick to uh, another good example that comes to mind, and I've had this happen. So-and-so has done this and that, especially if it's an elder. So, I, you know, the first thing that should come to mind is 
Do not receive an accusation against an elder except the mouth of two or more witnesses. So <clears throat> when that happens, and if they, don't, if they don't respond well to that response, that scriptural response, um, I'll, I'll go a little further and say, well, hey, you're trying to cause me to sin. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But I'm not even supposed to receive the accusation. So if you get me to contemplate whether any of this could be true or not, you're trying to cause me to sin. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to listen to that. And if, if we would all have those at the ready, it would stop short a lot of the troubles that end up uh, emanating from it. So uh, at the singles retreat, you know, we talked some on that and on the heart. And I'll end with this, because uh, we didn't talk about it then. But on the matter of the heart, David, of course, was a man that was after God's own heart. But did he have a perfect heart? Well, let's see what scripture says about it. Let's, we're in 1 Kings. We'll stay there and we'll go to chapter 15. Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, reigned Abijam over Judah. Three years reigned he in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of, Ab of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his father. Nevertheless, for David's sake, did the Lord, his God, give him a lamp in Jerusalem to set up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. So did you catch that uh, in verse 3? That that king didn't walk, his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. David's heart was perfect despite the sin, the egregious sin that he did. So this term perfect, we won't get into definition for lack of time. But uh, you can see from that text... It doesn't mean, oh, without spot or blemish, like we think of the term perfect today. You turn to him, you keep your heart right, you rely on that word, and you can have a perfect heart before God. Thanks for your time.